So our scripture reading today is from Psalm 23. I think many of us know this psalm very well. And I'll just share with you um, that many of you know that my wife was in a pretty serious accident in April of this year. And God, in his grace, actually, uh, we read this psalm at our family devotion um, around the dinner table maybe a couple of days before that happened. And this was such an anchoring psalm for us as well as so many uh, different sounds and places in the word. So glad to read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd. That we can trust in you and your ways and your care for us. Even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God, thank you that we can have confidence in you your presence, your love, your care, and your strength. And God, I pray that you would still our minds and our hearts right at this moment so that we might hear your word, that this will change us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly through Nathan uh, to us that we might praise you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Christ Church. Welcome to worship. My name is Nathan, and it is a privilege to open up God's word this morning to a very familiar psalm to many of us. Uh, we're taking a break from the Ephesians series and kind of going back to the summer, the Etched on Your Heart series. And this has been a special psalm for me, especially over these last couple years. It's uh, the first psalm perhaps memorized as a child, and it's the last psalm to be recounted at death. And I remember I preached my very first sermon on this passage, August 9. 2009 uh, at Carter Creek Missionary Baptist Church in Greenville, Kentucky to a congregation that mostly consisted of my family and distant relatives. <laughs> it was 13 pages long, um, 
But 20-year-old me wrote this. Its words have strengthened those in the greatest degree of suffering. And its sweet poetry has stilled many anxious hearts. And little did I know at that age how true those words would one day be. And I trust that I've grown in grace and as a preacher over those last few years. Uh, But there's no doubt that God has etched Psalm 23 on my heart. And I hope today that he will perhaps for new or even in renewed ways. So if you would, would you bow your heads and pray with me one more time. Holy Spirit, would you make this word profitable to us? Would you help me to preach? And would you help us all to listen, to see you? Would you speak to us, even at times, in your silence? We ask for your blessing on this time together. Amen. If there's one verse that has grounded me uh, over the last couple years, it would be verse 4 of this psalm. So we're going to look a lot at Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And right off the bat, the psalmist is not talking about the possibility of suffering, but the inevitability, the reality of suffering that exists. And I don't have to convince you of that. You only have to turn on the news for five minutes to hear about the chaos and suffering that is happening around the world and even even around our neighborhoods as well. It's not just out there, too, because I know that there's suffering here in this place as well. I know some of you, I know some of your stories, but I'm sure in a congregation this size that there is deep suffering in this place. Some of you have literally experienced trials, trials of combat, or maybe trials most recently in your work or in your home. Uh, or even uh, like my family trials, and just getting here this morning to church. Whatever trial uh, you are experiencing, the weight of the world could feel that it is heavy on your shoulders this morning, but this psalm gives us a beautiful window into the very heart of God for us, his people. And I love the posture of this person, just imagining this character walking through the valley after you've heard all that was written, how would you imagine someone being pictured who's walking through this valley, maybe with slumped over shoulders as they're trudging through a hard and deep place? But we see really a different picture in this psalm. David with his head held high, with his eyes looking forward, his eyes fixed on forever. Even as verse 6 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a sort of confidence in the shepherd who is not distant, but who is actually walking with us through those trials, through those pains, who's with us as we pass through it. It's an incredible picture of God's calming assurance, that he can give us confidence no matter the circumstances that we face in life, that he is with us, bringing comfort to our fear. And it's not out of any sense of self-confidence in David 
that he is able to walk through this valley. He's not relying on his own instincts or his own training or background, but he is relying on God to be his great shepherd, to walk with him through this valley. And this is a very personal psalm as well, because the, the bulletin, the, um, you can follow along in the notes, it says God is with his people. That is certainly true. We see that throughout scripture. But this psalm is about how God is with David. And there's a pronoun shift. There, it was third person up until verse 4. And then it shifts. It says, you are with me. So David has a very personal understanding of, of who God is, of why he's not going to be afraid when he steps into these valleys. Because he knows the shepherd, and the shepherd knows the way. David has had an experience of knowing God's presence with him. And this psalm teaches us to, to express that same confidence. It doesn't mean there's going to be times in our lives where we don't feel God's presence. But we can know through even reading psalms like this that he is with us even in those times. I can't say it any better than my four-year-old the other night, Della, who we were talking about this visit and this weekend and what this was going to look like. And mom said, well, Della, dad's a pastor. He's going to be preaching. Do you remember what a pastor does? And she said beautifully, um, Dad reminds people that they are okay and that God is with them. Like, that's, that's, what, that's what a pastor does. That's what has transformed my understanding of who God is, that God is with us. And okay can look like different things because we want to be a place that also it's okay to not be okay. We're not a, a group of people who have it all together. David certainly, uh, if you know the, the story of the man, David, didn't have it all together. But once you see this theme that God is with his people, you can't escape it throughout the pages of Scripture. So I, I invite you to try. It's like if you've ever been shopping for a car and you sort of settle on one make and model, all of a sudden you see like everybody else is driving that same car around town. You're like, Dang, does everybody have a forerunner these days? Um, so it's the same thing for me when I saw this pattern throughout Scripture. So I'm just going to read a bunch of verses, uh, invite you to write these down and maybe look at some later this afternoon. But Exodus 33:15, which was a part of our silent meditation to start, Deuteronomy 31:6, Isaiah 41:10, Joshua 1:9, Psalm 23:4. We're going to get there. I'll repeat them again. Matthew 1.23 and Matthew 28.18 through 20. So I'm going to try to just do a little uh, sword drill. We're going to go to some of these places. So uh, if you have a Bible and want to turn there, go to Exodus 33, where you can see Moses' intercession for his people in this passage. So God has told Moses to bring up the people, and if he has favor in his sight... Uh, consider us. And in verse 14, he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. So he's saying, I'm not going to go without you, God. Like, it's not going to, there's, there's no effect without God's 
presence with us. And then Deuteronomy 31.6, if you look a little bit ahead, Deuteronomy 31.6, Joshua succeeding Moses, be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And that's that same language that we hear in the um, passing of the baton in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be frightened. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then Matthew 28, at the end of Jesus' ministry, when he is ascending, he says, and I will be with you always, even until the very end of the age. From the beginning of Scripture to the end, we're told that God is with his people. The story, it's retold over and over throughout Scripture. God is with his people wherever they go and whatever the circumstances. And a few years ago, I had a privilege of meeting the youngest Medal of Honor winner. He's a young man by the name of Kyle Carpenter. He was a Marine, or is a Marine, if you're a Marine, you know. And uh, he received the Medal of Honor for jumping on top of a grenade and saving one of his uh, fellow soldiers' life. And after that uh, time, he spent three years in hospital at Walter Reed and had 40 uh, different surgeries and experienced incredible trials. And is, it's an amazing story if you're interested in reading him. And he has really self-depreciating humor in the book. He said, you know, jumping on a grenade changed my life forever, which is uh, the understatement of the century. But he wrote a book uh, entitled, You Are Worth It. You Are Worth It. Building a Life Worth fighting for. And as is common with uh, military service members, especially someone who uh, you can see the physical scars of battle on their face. He was in an Uber after uh, going to a conference, and that Uber driver, you know, said to Kyle, you know, thank you for your service. And typically, if you're a service member, you've got a line, you know, that you've got in your mind, it's my privilege, it's my honor, you know, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate you saying that. And, and that's what Kyle you know, had said a thousand times before. But in that instance, he thought about his experience and jumping on that grenade. And he replied instead to that, that driver, and he said, you know what? You are worth it. You are worth it. You are worth, later he was reflecting, worth protecting, worth fighting for, worth the time that I spent in the hospital bed and the countless surgeries and the scars on my body. And if you think about a story like that, you have to ask your question, uh, the question, why? How could Corporal Carpenter respond in that way after he had experienced incredible suffering and trials? And this is what he said. When you know a person is willing to be with you in the fight, no matter how unpleasant the circumstances, you begin to view your, cir your circumstances differently. Because a great leader communicates by his or her actions that you are worth their time, their energy, 
and their sacrifice. Isn't that amazing to think about? And he had seen that on display. He had seen John 15, greater love is no man than this. And that someone would lay down their lives for their friends. He had seen that modeled for him. And so when it, tame, when it came time for him to lay down his life, he willingly jumped on that grenade for his friend. Because he said, you are worth it. And Psalm 23 gives us that picture of the warrior, the warrior shepherd, the ultimate leader who is with his people in the fight, who knows that they are worth fighting for. And we see this language throughout the scripture of this warrior shepherd from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis 48, 15. God has been my shepherd all the day long. And at the very end, in Revelation 17, we see this picture for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. This beautiful image of a warrior shepherd who understands what it means to be with his people even in the midst of their trials and their circumstances. And understanding that God is with me has been the only thing that has helped me get through these last few years. And so the question for you to think about this morning, for us to think about, is not if these times will come, but when trials come, when suffering comes, how will we respond? Will we be ready to, as it were, jump on the grenade and understand uh, the sacrifice that has been made for us? Because there will be cancer diagnoses. There will be more wars and rumors of war. There will be another pandemic. There will be tragedy in your family and perhaps even the loss of a loved one. And some of you may know that my youngest brother, Philip, uh, died of a rare bone cancer a couple years ago when he was 26. Uh, our youngest daughter, uh, Philippa, Pippa, we call her, is named after him. She was born just a week after he passed away. But I want to tell you a story about how he responded to the most immense suffering and trial that I have ever seen or been a part of in my life. He wrote and heard after um, hearing that his cancer had returned. It wasn't the news that we were hoping for. The doctor stated that the scans looked the same as two months ago. Where the tumor currently sits, it covers the nerves through my entire pelvis, and at the current size and location, she's recommending uh, amputation. But it isn't all bad news. First, since the tumor hasn't grown, they state it's not likely to spread. And second, since the tumor likely isn't to spread, there's no rush to do surgery so it can undergo some more chemo and imaging gives more chance to respond. And the third thing, uh, and if you knew anything about him, he was a prolific soccer player. The third thing is my leg is not my life. And you know, he believed and understood what it, mean, what it meant to be in the shadow of death. And unfortunately, that cancer did come back, and it did spread through the rest of his body, and he did 
lose his life. But in his final days, he was able to say these words. That God is still good. My healing is promised. Whether it is here or in heaven. And truly, we may never understand the reason why we endure such trials on this side of heaven. But we know that by God's grace, our trials, our suffering are not trivial to him. They matter to God. They are not the end. And how do we know that this suffering, the trials that we experience in life are not the end? Well, one of those verses that I read and or that I skipped over that I mentioned earlier. Matthew 1:23 because God entered time and space, he took on flesh through his son Jesus Christ, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A beautiful picture of his faithfulness. That he gives us his son to walk with us through the trials. Because he has endured the suffering that the world had to throw at him. He knows and understands our pain and what we've been through. And so he can empathize with us, our Savior. An amazing thing that he purchased and bought our salvation through his sacrifice on the cross. So the second thing that we want to see is how do we take that truth that God is with us and then apply it to our lives? How do we respond when trials come? And in the military, they always teach you when it matters most, you want to fall back on your training. You don't want to be exposed for the first time in combat to something. You want to be able to react and know what to do because People just don't jump on grenades. You have to be trained. And so we need to train our spiritual muscles as well to know how to respond when those times come, to understand how God's being with us changes everything. So a few takeaways. The first takeaway is that if God is with us through our trials, then we don't have to be afraid. If God is with us through our trials, then we don't have to be afraid. Because the reality is, God may not remove us from our trials. He promises to be with us through them, but he may not remove us from our trials. That's what we see in verse 5 here. As the metaphor switches from being a shepherd, God as shepherd, to God as host. That he is preparing a table in the presence of our enemies. The greatest enemy of which is death. But he doesn't necessarily remove us from that place. But he promises to be with us. And to give us a feast in that place. So what would it look like this week to ask God, how are you using this trial, this suffering in my life? What, how are you using it for my good and for your glory? It could be a great question to ask in your C groups this week. Trusting in God. Not that we are in control of our circumstances or situation, but that we can have confidence that with God, that He is with us. 
He doesn't necessarily remove us from our enemies. Maybe that's what C.S. Lewis had in mind when he said that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so what would it look like to be roused today? To find rest and to not want on the Sabbath. If God is with us through our trials, then we don't have to be afraid. It doesn't make it easy, but we can trust and know as we're walking alongside fellow broken sufferers that he is with us. And when I don't believe it, or when I can't feel it, that's when we need one another to help encourage us and remind us of those great truths as well. The second takeaway that we want to see is that if God has provided for his people in the past, then we can trust that he will provide for his people in the future. If God's provided for his people in the past, we can trust that God will provide for his people in the future. I wonder, does it sound like a chaotic scene to you in verse 5? Just think about the, the image of that. You're surrounded you're at a feast, it's beautiful, but your eyes are fixed on the enemy that is around you. Would you feel anxious in that place? Does David seem anxious to you? I, I picture him calm, trusting in the presence of God with him, trusting in God's hospitality and sure of his eternity. Right? That he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That steadfast love. And we can do the same. We can trust in that same way. And again, our model is our brother and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who teaches us how to endure suffering in this way. Because 1 Peter 2, 23-24 says that when he suffered, he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might live to sin, die to sin, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. We have a model for us in how Jesus endured suffering and yet he entrusted his soul to the one who judges justly. And so whether you find yourself here today in the valley or surrounded by enemies, you can know that God is providing for us. Because trials will do one of two things. They can drive you deeper into despair, or they can drive you deeper into the arms of our Savior. And if that's not you today, 20-year-old me had no concept of, of what suffering in this life truly look like wouldn't you rather be ready when that day comes to know how to respond to help others when they need you to respond and remind them of God's presence with them maybe you are someone who is suffering today I heard someone say the person who endures trials is closer to understanding the heart of God than the person who is not facing adversity. So if that is you this morning, God sees you, and he knows your pain. And he promises to be with you. Another Presbyterian 
pastor put it like this. Usually we mean Tim Keller when we say that, (laughs) which is true in this instance. Christianity teaches that suffering is meaningful, that there is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and more into the stability and power of the Holy Spirit. And many of you don't have to imagine. You're working through this in real time, like my family and so many others, but God gives us power to endure through these trials, and he promises to be with us. And so we hold on to that promise. And if you have never understood or encountered this Jesus, the Christ, in Christ church, who endured the suffering of the cross, the Son of God sent from heaven to this world to not just suffer, but to bear the wrath of God on our behalf, to take on all of the sin of the world. If you've never encountered who that Jesus is, then I invite you to see him and to savor him and his message, to see who he is and what he has done for us. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord. And that's what it means to repent, to turn our gaze to Jesus, to forever, to the one who judges justly in order that we might be redeemed. And it's only from a repentant heart that we realize that when good things happen to us or that when bad things happen to us, trials can come in each, that we are sinners saved by grace and upheld by his hand. As we sang earlier, he will hold us fast and make us more and more into the image of Christ. Because grace exploded onto the scene 2,000 years ago like a cosmic grenade. When Jesus came into this world and he jumped on that grenade for us to save us, to be our savior, our shepherd, our friend. He said, as it were, you are worth it. You are. You are worth protecting. You are worth the scars on my body, the hanging on the cross. You are worth the trials that I endured. And then a few days later, after he rose from the dead, he promised us that I will be with you always until the very end of the age. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make this truth real to us this morning, we pray that you would awaken our eyes and our hearts to see your son Jesus, the great shepherd of his people, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who promises not to be distant, but to be with us 